trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. For this week's episode of The Kettle is Hot, I am joined by my guest, Grace Yoon. Grace, who uses she, her pronouns, is a professional violinist based in Austin, Texas. Classically trained, Grace enjoys performing music that fuses classical virtuosity with elements of pop, rock, and hip-hop. In addition to maintaining a busy performing career, Grace teaches a thriving studio of young violinists and violists. She recently just launched her side hustle, Bang Bang Cookie Company, baking giant cookies the size of your face. Welcome to the show. I now have been craving a cookie all day after reading your bio. We're going to work through it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. For so long. So when you first messaged me and I was like, okay, we need to talk because (laughs) our conversation was just like so simple and easy. Like, yes, let's chat. Let's talk. Let's talk about all the things. Come on to the show. So here we are finally making it happen. Um, <laughs> you're the second, you're only the second person who I've like never met in person who has come on the show. So I'm like very excited about this. So me too. And I hope that there's like a day soon where we can actually like hang out in real life. <laughs> we're allowed back outdoors and can actually do things. Uh, I know. Concept. Um, but yes, I am so excited to talk to you about your topic today. Um, When we originally were talking, we were stuck between the model minority conversation, you know, Instagram, how that works, how those two kind of work together. Um, But I think they all kind of work in tandem, right? So also like in the music industry with you being a professional violinist, which I played violin for two years and I gave up. So no way. Yeah, I so quick sidebar, I was obsessed with the clarinet. But there was only a certain amount of clarinets they were giving out, and the girl right before me got the last clarinet. Uh, Rude. I know. I ended up being thrust (laughs) into the violin, which was a beautiful instrument. I loved playing it, but it just wasn't for me. But I do love a good violin solo. I do love all, like, classical music. So, again, big fan. Just wasn't for me. Also, my parents let me, like... (laughs) try different things all the time like if you don't like this you could try something else so I also still blame them for the fact that I'm not a gymnast that's the only thing they wouldn't let me try and I think I really would have loved it different story oh man (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying I could have been the first Gabby Douglas but here we are I was was robbed it's not the point of today's conversation today (laughs) we are talking about the being the model minority and my friend Winnie and I were just having this conversation the other day Um, she was on a couple weeks ago about her app called politicking, which is an app that shows like what political stuff is coming up, specifically in your area. 
but we talked about the quote-unquote black vote and with mr west deciding that he wanted to run for office at basically at uh. the middle slash and last quarter of the year one there's a lot of stuff that goes into qualifying for running for president so also like he missed the deadline so he couldn't even run republican or democrat anyway right um but we were talking a lot about the black vote and how the black people are often like lumped together and we're talking about it like we're not people who can have different mindsets and not have the same lived experience and not have to vote for the same person so when you brought up the model minority i thought about that and like the palatability of people of color through the white scope right like if we talk about you know how often Asians were seen as a model minority or like how black people are seen as like the non-model minority because we're always like cause like all the stereotypes that goes into all of these different um, races and so when you brought this up and I was like let's dive into this because it is so important especially now with everything going on between Black Lives Matter movement you know people posting those black squares and then I haven't seen anything really come from the black squares um, especially <laughs> with you having you know you technically being an influencer since you have over 10,000 followers and the coveted swipe up <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> feature um, but yeah I, I'm really excited to talk to you as a minority w is sitting in this space especially on Instagram so yeah I'm really excited about having this conversation. Um, honestly, this conversation has also brought me a lot of anxiety over the last few weeks. And it's because this is a really difficult thing for me to talk about. Um, the model minority myth is something that I've always sort of known about, even as a kid. And the crazy thing is that in the last couple months, as I've had conversations with so many different people, pretty much everyone is like, wait, what's that? Is that a thing? I was like, oh no, like the model minority is not a myth. And I was like, no, let's unpack this. Yep. And um, so even like, you know, my quote unquote woke friends are like, yeah, so I didn't really know about this until maybe like a month ago, maybe two months ago. And that's been very alarming. And I think the more alarming thing is that as I've talked to other um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders um, and, you know, just like the wealth of different races that sort of make up the Asian American community is that a lot of those people don't even understand the model minority myth or they really misunderstand what it is. And that's been really, really tough for me to grapple with as I've sort of really have come to terms with the fact that it's basically been a wedge developed by white people to put between other people of color to pit us all against each other mm -hmm. and that's like some really heavy shit to kind of wrap your head around and you know when we talk about the model minority when we talk about the word model where you know it doesn't sound like a bad thing on paper it sounds like you know well that's something that we want to aspire to I mean the number of times that white people have said to me well I don't understand why you're offended when I say that you're part of the model minority. It's a compliment. Um, <laughs> and I've been trying to grapple with that for so long and especially like in the last six months. And as I sort of started doing some digging, you know, like the model minority was like a term coined like in 1966. And it was basically created to profile the socioeconomic success of Japanese Americans. And 
it basically became a collection of stereotypes about Asian Americans presenting them as the ideal minority group in the eyes of white supremacy. And I think the crazy thing is that, you know, this guy who like came up with the term, let me see if I can find his name. I think his name was William Peterson. He basically was comparing like the model minority to like the problem minority, which like, let's talk about like how messed up that term is like to call mm -hmm. um, a different racial group, like a problem minority. And so basically it was just to say that, well, all these other people, um, are just lazy. They aren't working as hard as Asian people. Like, Asian people have figured out how to win at the at achieving the American dream. Yeah. And so why can't all these other people do it? And it's been interesting to unpack this with a lot of different people, especially other Asians, because we're like, well, we did work really hard. And um, as we kind of let me see if I can find a better way to phrase this. I think that a lot of Asian Americans are really struggling right now with the Black Lives Matter movement because they often feel like when we talk about racism and um, activism that the fight isn't about them, that they aren't included. And that when um, people are fighting for racism that we aren't fighting for um, to protect the AAPI community. And so a lot of people are just like, well, why do I have to participate in this? And it's like, well, if that's your, if that's what you're feeling right now, then the model minority myth has actually succeeded in doing exactly what it was designed to do. Yeah, I think of it also like, like the closer to like whiteness, the better person you are, like being, right. able, being able to say like, well, you know, Asians aren't causing problems, they're actually helping the economy, whereas Black people, Latinx people, people with darker skin tones are actually the ones causing all the trouble. So if you could just try to emulate the model minority, it would help us all as a society, which we know isn't true, but it was that way to cause a wedge. And I've been saying to people a lot too, of like systematic racism was designed to keep groups from talking to each other and to exactly. never, you know, came together, which you know, something I've mentioned before on the show is like the more you know about politics and shit that has happened, the more educated you become, the more well-versed you become, the more that the people in the power start to freak out because they're like, oh crap, like now they know. Like if we think about how much like um, our parents and grandparents generations were said, like you don't talk about religions and religion and politics. And I think about it now, it's like, it wasn't a way for us to have conversation. It was a way to make sure we weren't talking to each other and trying to understand each other. It was a way that we would always find something to fight about instead, right? Like, right. Well, if we don't talk about it, we can't learn from it. So yeah, I, I think about that too, as we think about the model minority myth of just making sure that these groups never saw eye to eye on everything. Right. And I think that um, it's like only as I approach 30 that I have started to sort of come to terms with my own heritage, um, being Korean American and finally embracing that part of myself. Because for so long, I felt like I just kind of lived in this middle ground. And I mean, my whole life, Korean people have told me that I wasn't Korean enough. And white people have also told me that I wasn't Korean enough. Uh, white people also told me that I could never really be white. So I just feel like I've lived in this gray area for so long. It was like, well, if I like my own people, 
like from like who <laughs> Korean people won't accept me if white people won't accept me like where do I stand and um, just trying to come to terms with that has been incredibly challenging um, but it has actually sort of helped to help me to realize the kind of change that I can sort of like actually enact by having difficult conversations with people about it. Um, I, re I realize now that, you know, no one can really tell me how Korean I am. <laughs> you know, it's like my blood, my blood tells me exactly how Korean I am. No one else can really decide that. And um, just kind of learning to embrace that part of myself. Um, and, you know, as we talk about like the model minority myth, you know, it's built on, you know, stereotypes, like it perpetuates like the narrative that like Asian American children are whiz kids or musical geniuses. And, um, you know, that we have tiger moms who force their children to work harder and better than everyone else. And, um, you know, all these kinds of things and that we're quiet, we're subservient, we don't um, rock the boat. And I feel like I am none of those things. <laughs> um, I feel like I've always been one to sort of like try to speak my mind and uh, it's like I mean I, I am a professional violinist I would say that I have had a lot of privilege when it comes to having access to classical music mm -hmm. um, it's like while my family was not wealthy we actually grew up like we were pretty poor growing up and I didn't really even know this until like maybe as I like was in my early 20s because my parents tried really hard to hide that from me because they just wanted me to feel accepted yeah um and but like my privilege is that my mom worked incredibly hard she worked all these extra hours so I could take lessons and that she could buy me an instrument and like you know I think about the hours that we spent in the car together driving to lessons driving to rehearsals what have you um and that is my privilege to um within the music industry and I think about how a lot of there just really isn't any access for a lot of people. There's so many barriers entry, especially um, for people of color, um, for black musicians, for Latinx musicians, um, especially, and we don't talk enough about it. Yeah. But um, with, as I sort of think about my journey and understanding my own identity, I think about how, especially when I moved to Texas seven years ago, I really struggled with that. And, um, <laughs> Y'all can't um, I, see my nod, but I have my butt to fall out of my chair. Um, and into and, and Austin, even. Um, when yeah. I moved to Austin seven years ago, I came from Seattle. Um, and it's been, I mean, pre-COVID, I can tell you for a fact that at least once a week, some white dude would come up to me in a coffee shop and ask me what kind of Asian I was. Like verbatim, that language. Yes, your face says everything. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I, I'm speechless, but I'm also not speechless because, I mean, I don't know if I've told the story before, but like, I grew up in a pretty diverse town, but I worked at this like bakery place, like my first like real job, and. The guy, one of the guys walked in and he was like, where are you from? And I was like, up the street. Like, literally, we're in my hotel. <laughs> He's like, there's no way you're from here. You just look so exotic. I'm like, I'm oh my a God. black girl. And at the time, like, I had straight hair and I was just like, 
He's like, but like, you just don't look like, are you mixed? And I was like, no, like just as straight as a narrow black as you can get. And he was just like, oh, you're just, there's just no way. I was like, well, you want me to, you want me to show you my parents? Like I have photos. Like, why do I have to like prove my blackness to you? And that's like, like you were just saying, like, you're not blank enough. Like people be like, well, you're not black enough because you don't talk a certain way because you sound a certain way right. you speak so well. And I'm like, that's racist. <laughs> like it you do really understand is. like the shit you're saying is racist. So like you bring all this stuff. I was like, yep. Yep, yep, like check the box of all the things. Like, how many times has a white person or someone who doesn't, who isn't a person of color, said this shit to you? Like, yeah, like, and also, like, living here in Austin, people of color, like, we stick out like sore thumbs, right? Like, mm-hmm. Austin is so white, Texas is so white. Um, but, like, especially now with like the amount of like speaking engagements I do and like making a name for myself, and you know, now that like my Instagram following is increasing and like, you were saying before we hopped on and like people who come to your feed and are expecting to, to hear one thing people come to my feed and know that you, they're either going to get a lot of activism and talking about like reproductive justice lgbtqia issues black issues um body shaming because it's like one of the big things that i have dealt with my whole life and then also mm-hmm. like just sometimes like just me chilling because i me showing black joy is like really important to me on my feed but I think about that, like being in like so under a microscope sometimes here in this city. Um, and then also like realizing like you as a person of color don't just represent yourself, right? Like you don't get the privilege to just be you. And I think that goes, that ties back into the model minority. Like everyone right. who is a model minority is expected to all behave the same way. And then like there's a stereotype, like all black people do this and act the same way. So I think it's also like it was created so that we would fall in line. And these are like the parameters that you have to be the specific person. You can't step out of line. Right. A hundred percent. And I just like think about like, it's like the where are you from question is like so incredibly triggering. I was talking to somebody and he basically was, um, he basically said that like, you know, like his Asian girlfriend, like like loves when people ask her what that question because she like loves making them uncomfortable and I was like I actually hate when people ask me that question because that's gaslighting (laughs) um it's like I also like I don't owe anybody an explanation about my heritage or where I'm from like if you really want to know where I was born I was born in Kentucky that's where I'm from nothing it's like I grew up in Seattle (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and then like they're like no where are you really from it's like well, my parents moved from Germany before they were in the States. That's where they met. From there, they were, before that, they were in Korea. But it's like, why is that relevant? You, and it's you, like, why is that any to, of your business? You're expected to do the emotional labor for them to kind of like humanize. Like they need to know your full right. story before they see you as a full human. Right. But it's not even like, it's like, I'm not even actually seen as a human because it's just a game. They're just like, oh, I knew that you were. It's like, oh, mm. really? Like, you don't really look all that Korean. Like, your eyes are just, like, different. I was like, so, like, what makes you an authority? I <laughs> like what Korean people look like or or whatever. And um, I, I talk about this um, pretty regularly with people I know, um, with my fiancé, um, my fiancé is white. And so um, we have discussions about race often um because it very much impacts our relationship on a daily basis and we and having to tell him about my lived experience sometimes he just he's still like shocked by it. he's like well like you know maybe they're just saying that because x y and z i was like no like we need to like okay white people you need to stop rationalizing like <laughs> 
um, poor behavior. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you have to, and also, can we just like, also like, like, I mean, other people might not necessarily agree with it, but when a person of color says that it's about race or something's racist, it's racist, period. Napping. <laughs> it's like, My can we please like <clears throat> just put that out there into the universe? Um, the gaslighting around lived experience is one of the things that pisses me off the most. And I, and I tell people like, it could, it doesn't even have to be about race. It could be about people who, um, for example, I was reading something last night, um, about OnlyFans and a lot of like women and um, people in general who are using OnlyFans as a way of income right now. And mm -hmm. people who are subscribing are getting upset because the people who are creating the content have put boundaries on what they're willing to share or not. And so just like reading that stuff of just, you know, when we set boundaries, we are told that we are wrong. We should not be setting our own boundaries. We just set the boundaries of what people want to see. And like, that's not how this works. Right. Or like people who have gone through traumatic experiences from like mental, physical and sexual abuse who now are just like very stoic about what they will and will not accept and the gaslighting mm -hmm. around that of like, well, it wasn't that bad. Like you didn't like he he yelled at you. He didn't beat you like no like that. Oh, your oh experience God. is enough for you to say no. Right. right. Like just so I think about that often of one of my most recent experiences is right now there's a lot of talk in congress around um black people who have like afros and natural hair and all this stuff people um employers were able to fire you for it and if we think about last year with the student who played who was wrestling who had to cut his dreads during a match which i can't even talk about oh my god but i had posted about it of like there is studies that show that black women are less likely to get jobs or you know get poked and prodded more because of their hair and you know right. I was like I don't think I've ever experienced this because it's funny just always like sort of correlates like whenever I get a job I have natural hair and then like I'll get it braided like right after I don't know what it is mentally that I just always do mm -hmm. it anyway but I think about that often of like that this happens and so I posted on my Facebook and this white girl went to high school with like um I've never seen this so how can you say it happens I was like, bitch, you are a white oh, woman. How are God. you going to tell me that this doesn't happen? Like, right. that shit all the time. I'm like, the gaslighting around literal lived experiences of the people who have gone through this because it makes white people uncomfortable. 100%. And also, can we just, like, also put this out there? Um, I've had a couple of conversations, like, in the last couple of days with some people about this. It's like, white people, can you stop asking for examples of people's lived trauma? Especially after they actually told you their story. Mm -hmm. like you, they, if they already gave you an example, well, that's like one, if, if, no one owes you an example. No. Nope. And then two, if they already gave you one, you have to like accept their lived experience. Well, I think about that too. Like, for example, I have never watched the videos of people who've been murdered at the hands of the police, like from George Floyd to all the countless others who we lost to police violence um, and right. racism. But I don't need to watch it. As a black person, that's in it. I don't need to see it. And so like every time my friend Era, who was on, on the show before, she, whenever someone posts it, will be like, hey, just so you know, this is very triggering and traumatizing for the black community. Like, no, right. no big, I don't think it's a big request not to keep sharing it. And someone who was white was like, well, you know, I need to see this to understand. I'm like, you need to understand someone dying to understand they shouldn't be dying. Or like the fact oh, that black people are God. so vilified when they're murdered by the police. Well, well, he was a drug dealer and she used to do sex work. I'm like, so she deserved to die. Like, 
just all these all this gaslighting that happens in communities of color to make right so that white people can conceptualize what is going on so that they can understand it air quotes more and i'm like right okay oh man yeah it's um and i think that's what's been interesting about social media um you know we like before the show we were talking about like the black squares very briefly and um so my understanding of like the whole black square thing was originally supposed to be like a music industry blackout day yeah. and um I, I think it was actually like led by two black women and then some other people sort of hijacked it and then all of a sudden it became like just general businesses mm-hmm. like supposedly showing their solidarity with the black lives matter movement um and Ever, and then it turned into just like everyday people just also posting a black square. So I think it was like a very poorly played game of telephone uh, <laughs> um, with like no real action that kind of came out of it. And um, my friend Hollis, um, she is a creator originally based out of Seattle. She now lives in LA. She um, started asking a lot of questions about this whole blackout day before it was like happening. She's like, okay, so like who started this? Like as like non-black creators, what are we going to do to address racism in the industry? Like we can't just like take, this is not the time for us to take the day off and snooze. Like this is not a vacation day. We're going to do a blackout. We need to actually get together and talk about how we can better address racism in the industry, how we can better support um, black artists and creators. And so she organized a Zoom call with like a handful of other um, creators based out of LA, um, basically for like white and like non-black creators just to get together because she's like black people like deserve a day for to rest. Like they don't like, obviously like we have plenty to learn from them, but it's just like, because at that point, you know, I think that black people were very much carrying the weight of education and very much still are right now. But like, especially like during like, during that time, I think it was like early June, um, you know, all these organizations were like, we got to find all the black people that we can to basically educate us on this. Mm-hmm. And so of course, like everybody's exhausted. So it's like, well, instead of just depending on black people to come up with ideas for us to make the industry better, we also need to be doing some brainstorming and reflecting ourselves. So um, that was um, a thing that happened. And since then she's put together a lot of um, other Zoom calls with um, various hosts to sort of continue the conversation and continue to make moves in the industry. Um, And, you know, as I've sort of looked on social media since, you know, some people I noticed were really struggling with even posting a black square, uh, which was really, really hard for me to grapple with. And it, it's people I know personally who, I, you know, are influencers in the space who have way more, uh, like who have a much larger following than I do, who basically tormented for days about whether or not they were going to post a black square. Mm-hmm. And um, those and it's like, oh God, I'm probably getting in so much trouble for like all the stuff I'm about to say on here. But, it's, but you know, it's like, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not a, I told you this before the show. I am not a different persona on Instagram right? or on any of my social media platforms. I am 100% me. And um, I speak very truthfully about all the things that I experience. I, um, within the industry, I spoke very truthfully about my burnout 
um, with violin. And that's actually when I actually gained a huge following because I was finally, I was addressing something that a lot of people didn't yeah. want to talk about. And um, I, I've addressed a bunch of other things and mm -hmm. I was just like, well, if I'm going to address all these other like kind of if I'm going to take the time to address all these areas in my life that I'm really struggling with, I need to actually also take the time to address racism because it is something that impacts me on a daily basis. It's something that I've been angry about since I was a child. And um, if I don't address it now, and because I have such a diverse following, like I have people from all over the world who follow me. I think that's what's interesting about like being a classical violinist is that it's not just like people in the US who follow me. I have people from all over the world. Right. Um, and so because I have it, I find I just felt that um, I needed to start using my space in a way to actually help people understand racism, because it's not a problem that actually just imp impacts us in the States. It's everywhere. And that's like, that's what the one thing that was driving me nuts is that there were other artists out there like who don't live in the US who basically were like, well, it's not really a problem where I live or wherever. I was like, mm -hmm. uh, let's unpack that because. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit. Um, so I, now that my following is growing, I have had such a problem with the word influencer because I, I feel like there's such like this weird feeling around it right now. And it's like, mm -hmm. for me, like I am okay with like being an influential person, but like being an influencer is like really difficult for me. And I right. think it's because I'm such an activist that I just feel like I don't want to like fall into some sort of like trope. Right. Right. Um, but now too, like now that my platform is growing and I have like more people paying attention between my show and my Instagram, I'm just, I tell people like I'm me all the time. Like there is like no Brie at work versus Brie here and Brie there. But like talking to a couple of other friends who are in this like influencer like level space. And like we hung out, one of my friends, Cam, like the first time we hung out, we went for a walk a couple of weeks ago. And she was like, it is so nice to like meet someone who was the same on their feet and in person. Like, could you imagine being a, yes. like, a like, could you imagine the energy behind that of like, and like I've experienced it with some people like oh my god like how do you deal with that like that's exhausting um but then also like I think about like the performative allyship of being on in on Instagram and my friend Brittany mm -hmm. was on a few weeks when we talked about that but oh my god I loved that one I listened to it it was <laughs> great it. but that was <laughs> one of the biggest things for me is like you know we had the people who like didn't want to post the black square because it ruin their aesthetic and I'm like fuck your aesthetic and then mm -hmm. we had the people who were like you know I don't really think my followers would like to see that I was like you're worried about the people who are gonna unfollow you versus yes. you sending the message that you are basically okay with racism and the murder of black people and everything else like okay like I have I have a friend of a friend who was like I, I just gonna I'm just gonna post it in my story and I'm like you mean the ones that's going to go away in 24 hours that if people don't right. see it, it's like it never fucking existed. And so like one of my biggest thing has been like unfollowing people who haven't said anything about Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I don't need to take it in. I don't, it doesn't feed me. I've also been telling people like it is okay to unfollow things that no longer serve you. Cause I think when we first all got on Instagram, we like went like follow happy. It's like yes. right now I'm like unfollowing a bunch of, a bunch of people in, in different accounts um, but then also to diversify your feed and Brittany and I talk about this often, like, don't just follow me because I'm black. Follow me right, because right. you actually have value in what I am saying and what I, and what, um, what I'm posting. So if you're just there to like check off the, like, I follow one black person, like you're really like wasting your time. 
Um, but I think about that too, like you were saying before, <laughs> like you have like on your discover page, like, uh, like, um, astronomy and like recipes and things like, no, where's the stuff that's going to be educational. It's going to like help me and like, right. Exactly. And like, and I think about that too, like the fact that you like, we have to search so hard for that on Instagram when it exists. Like there are so many people in Austin who are doing that work. There's this woman, Rachel Cargill, who I follow on Instagram. Yes. I love love her. Rachel. Um, but like, there's just so many people in your community, ver- like online and in your actual where you live who are doing this work. But the fact that we have to literally search for it on Instagram. Oh, yeah. The fact that you have to dig is just incredibly because, dumb. Because I mean, the, like, default, the default is white and palatable, like things that right. aren't going to cause issues. Ugh. And I just like, I've been trying to, and I think I told you before the show, is like, I've been trying to play the algorithm game. It's like, well, I'm just going to keep looking. And I'm just going to keep talking at my phone. Like, it's just like when, um, it's like that one tweet where it was like, I'm just going to keep like describing the rug that I want until the internet shows me the thing that I actually need to buy. Maybe if I just keep saying, like, I'm looking for education on racism, I'm looking for education on like, (laughs) whatever, Um, X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to learn about, um, that maybe I can speak it all to an existence, but I'm also like, checking out their pages, liking it, trying to engage, um, just so that more of that stuff kind of comes up on my feed because I'm trying so desperately to diversify my feed. And even even with that, it's back to classical violin Bach, which is great. Like, I enjoy listening to that. I think that's wonderful. However, we have more important stuff to deal with right now. Um, And I think that's been the interesting thing about Instagram for me lately is that I sort of fell into this role of becoming an educator. Mm -hmm. And um, the number of people who have basically just, um, I've been sharing a lot of stuff in stories, which I hate because it's like a 24 hour cycle. Um, And, but it's like, I know people like actually, I I know people have been actually engaging in my stories because when I look at the metrics and the number of DMs that I've been getting, everyone's been reading and they've been asking me questions. Um, They've been asking me questions because I told them all, please do not slide into a black person's DMs to ask them about (laughs) the educational um, stuff that they're providing you right now. They've, They've carried the burden for so long. I can like... I can hold your hand right now like you're a toddler and help you (laughs) learn about all of this as much as it pains me. Um, But it's like, I think that's like the least I can do right now. And I, I think what's been really hard is that I, I fell into this role and, you know, people are just like, oh, like, thanks, like, Grace, for, like, bringing this to my attention, you know, or, like, they'll be like, oh, you should follow Grace. She's, like, this, like, incredible violinist and social justice warrior. It's like, no, I am, like, I've suddenly, I feel like I'm, like, this faux activist because <laughs> there are so many other people who are actually doing the real work. I am, and it's, like, not to say that I'm not doing the work. I'm learning and I'm, like, reading all the time and I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is. Um donating to organizations and like you know like with my cookie company right now like i've been like a percentage of proceeds i've just been throwing to the austin justice coalition because i think that's just like important right now like you know as much as like i want to start my own business and like profit off of it it's like i think what's more important is that i use whatever i'm good at to benefit the community at large so that's like one thing i can do that's like one active way i can make a difference right now instead of just sitting here like i feel paralyzed that's the language that i've been hearing from so many influencers in the space they're like well i don't know what to do i feel like paralyzed i feel like whatever i do right now is just going to be um sort of misconstrued as being ingenuine 
and it's just like well let's let's talk about that if you feel like people are going to say that is ingenuine maybe it is ingenuine mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. can we like sit with that for a moment <laughs> and it's like and that i understand it's like super uncomfortable but i think that the right thing right now is to at least try try do something and if um if it's wrong if it's not received well you apologize right away be like i'm sorry let me try again Mm-hmm. And you keep trying because that's that's how we move forward. Um, if you're just going to sit here um, and wait for stuff to die down, that's doing more harm than it is doing good. Yeah, I think what's been really helpful for me and a lot of my friends who have been like posting stuff in stories, a lot of um, black folks who are doing this work right now is creating highlight reels. So every time someone asks me a question, like, you can go to this highlight reel. <laughs> it is in here and you can find it on your own. Um, or like a lot of people who saw that I was doing a lot of work were like reshare myself like Brianna's Venmo is this and so like just being like oh my god I need to start doing that <laughs> this person this person like, has this great thing out here and you can pay them via here um, but yeah I, I think resharing is better than nothing I think a lot of the time too, right. like, we'll find ourselves just like mindlessly going through stories and just how much we absorb from that is really helpful so I I, I love your like faux activism. I'm a fan of of, of the of I the, mean of the stepping into the new role. Right. Of activism. I, yeah. I think I it's, think it's the smallest. I mean, it's a small thing, and I think that's where people have been. Um, the kind of language that I've heard has been really terrifying and very dangerous. Where people mm-hmm. are just like, "Well, it, this is just clearly a fad." Like I heard this from somebody in their stories from um, a, a different musician, and she just was like, "This is a fad." Like where we're like people like seven years ago when this like, or just like however many years ago, like, you know, she's like, this always comes up like every couple of years and like people didn't pay attention then. So why is this any different now? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, um, people are posting black squares. They don't actually really care. And like, cause this all person also did not post a black square, which I guess yes. like, cool. I mean, like, I guess you're speaking your truth, like fine, but like, it's also incredibly dangerous when you hold weight in this space. Like when you have a bunch of followers and you're putting this kind of information out there, that's really, really terrifying. Um, I would rather people just not say anything personally. Right. It's like, you don't, this is not a time for us to be divisive. Right. Absolutely. Um, And um, I remember having a private conversation with her and just like being like, okay, like, um, I'm like going to try to come at this without like you feeling like I'm attacking. And I like sent uh, because I think she just, she was basically like LAPD has basically been nonviolent and like they've done like an incredible job of like repairing relationships with people of color. And I was like, no, that's not right. That's that's definitely I mean, like you mean not the, what was it? Was it copaganda? It was like, <laughs> like propaganda, but with police. Yeah. And how like um, what's his name? Crap beautiful actor who plays in um insecure and kendrick kendrick something it'll come to me later um but how he's been out there protesting with like sophia bush and um matt moore matt mcgormy and just like being Mm -hmm. very much like no the cops are being actually terrible but then they like pose with one black kid like look at us out here and it's like you look over and it's like the crowd getting sprayed with pepper gas it's like tear gas it's like this split screen of like what you think is happening and then was actually happening so yeah i totally like the whole like thing people like well the cops aren't really being that bad i'm like maybe not to white people or to people in your city yes but, and, but I, mean, I mean 
I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with anything that was like happening or you were keeping up with stuff that was happening in Seattle. I was trying my best to keep up with everything there because that's where I grew yeah. up. And um, just everything that was happening in CHOP. And it was all very, it was all so terrifying. Yep. SPD was incredibly violent. I mean, they, they maced a child. And then the guy who recorded the video was like arrested on yep. like some really really dumb charge like they just made up a charge and well, if you think about um, it mean, right I now in, at... in portland and chicago portland just, yes just yeah, taking, now chicago just taking people off the street for protesting and unmarked exactly. vans not identifying themselves as officers not knowing what the mm-hmm. hell happens to people when they get picked up and aren't unmarked vans by people in these suits like we are living in a time where we need to get everyone needs to be fucking paying attention and I just yes. feel like, oh, post like 45 is literally doing everything in his power to make sure that these people are silent. The fact that, like, the USPS, like, the fucking postal service about to go bankrupt in the year where we're going to have a lot of people vote by mail. Like, there's a lot of shit going on that yes. is literally showing how we are about to, like, live in a tyranny, like a tyrannic um, state. People are like, this is, like, a conspiracy. I'm like, no, fucking pay attention. Like... <laughs> If I was lying, if I'm lying, sure, but like I'm not. Go look into it. Go look at it. Like, what I watched a video of like this literal, like just this kid who's on the street, and the people just come and pick him up, and like, who are you? Who do you work for? Where are you taking him? And they just don't answer questions. It's an unmarked van, and these people are like in full combat gear. I'm like, cool. And like peaceful protests, like just people being out there holding signs and just picking picking them up off the street. And the fact that Black Lives Matter is now seen as like, um like a hate group i'm like the kkk is still not categorized as a hate group but sure yes that's fine oh my god i just i just this country some days i'm like i know this work is important but sometimes i'm just like i just want white people to fix it y'all messed it up you (laughs) we didn't ask to be brought here we didn't ask for systematic racism there's this quote I always list that I always talk about is this black woman who like goes on like this whole beautiful speech and then at the end she's like you're lucky the only thing black people want is equality and not revenge because we have been so yes over in this system for four to five hundred years like we have just been fucked and now we're asking just for the simplest level of respect and dignity and y'all are acting like we're asking you to build us a whole new country we just want change yeah. just we just want equal rights to everything especially ugh, living here in austin i just posted this like this meme of like is this um is this being a liberal in austin and it's like the guy letting go of the butterfly and it's like white liberals who are like has a have a black lives matter sign in their yard but then votes against affordable housing and i'm like <laughs> not wrong I feel like you might have actually said this on a previous show, but like, um, people always ask, they're like, oh, well, like when I talk about like my lived experiences here, like, um, uh, the sort of like, oh God, I hate the word microaggressions because they're just full on aggressions. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) That is life. Yes. um, Like, like the aggression, like, like the racial attacks that I sort of that not even sort of that I actually experience like on a daily basis here. Mm-hmm. And I tell people about it and they're like, Oh, well, like Austin, I just thought Austin was so liberal. Like, I'm just shocked that it was like, Austin is liberal. If you are white, I feel like maybe you've actually said that on here, yep. but like <laughs> liberal, liberal, if liberal doesn't mean progressive, progressive right. doesn't mean equitable, right. equitable doesn't mean anti-racist. 
Like there are just exactly. all these levels to it. Like 